Welcome to The Mortgage Voice with Jeff Barton, your voice in the mortgage industry. Each week on this program, Jeff and his guests share their expertise, personal anecdotes, and the latest industry news to keep you in the loop. Now to provide you with insight and help you navigate the consistently changing world of real estate lending, here is your host for The Mortgage Voice, Jeff Barton. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Jeff Barton, your voice in the mortgage industry. Thanks very much for tuning in, listening to the show. We are back once again this week trying to have some, I guess, uh, information that's useful to you if you want to buy a house, you need a mortgage, all those kind of things. Now, this isn't a commercial show. This is an informational show. We're going to bring three guests on, as we do each and every week, at least three, to talk about what they know, whether it's a lender or whether it's a loan officer or a real estate agent, to come on and uh, describe their business, uh, what kind of products they offer. We've had a lot of different calls from people who are listening to the show to these people, asking them about the programs they uh, described on the show. So that's part and parcel of what we're doing today. But it's it's difficult right now because there's so much confusion in the marketplace about what really is going on. And isn't that always the way it is, trying to figure out what's going on, what is the best thing for me, how can I best... Use this information to be able to either get me the best rate or the best loan officer or go to the the best lender or even just to get information for a friend, a family member, somebody who needs help because this is a daunting task if you've never done it before. Now, I have three kids and I have visited all of them once I got my shots. Yes, I got shots. I went out to uh, Seattle, Portland, and to... Boston, Massachusetts, to see all my three kids over the last three and a half weeks. And I got to tell you, in all of these different places, the, the, um, the way they tackle the problem of the mask is kind of like how we tackle the problem of mortgages and, and figuring out the best product or trying to, <laughs> trying to figure out the entire way it works and then to be able to trust somebody. So the masks up in Portland, you know, everybody's doing it uh, when they're not burning down the city. Now, that's, of course, a joke. It's not as bad as they say. And up in Seattle, it's uh, raining all the time, so everybody's inside, so nobody's wearing the mask except when they have to. Here in Southern California, of course, where I live, mask mandates are gone. And out in Boston, it's, uh, it's also gone. But mo- most people in public areas are using the mask. Now, if you look for a 30-year fixed-rate loan, and you want to get the best possible rate out there because everyone wants to get the best possible rate. It depends on who you are and what you are. What kind of you is the loan going to be qualifying for? And in the midst of all this, the changes based on what's going on in the mortgage market itself and how different things affect rate in general. So you're dealing with like the masks, all these different variables, different kinds of people. I'm going to do it this way. You're going to do it that way. Regardless, the Fed sets a lot of what we do, right? In terms of momentum in the economy for how money is used and borrowed by large institutional banks. The rate itself is not set by the Fed. It's set usually by the 10-year treasury yields or the bonds, as they call them. Whatever that bond yield is, Yield is up. That also means that the the rate that you want to get is also up. So these things being what they are, it is confusing because it doesn't make sense. But I can tell you that for the past three and a half, four years, the rates have been extremely low and will probably remain that way through, through 2022. Now, how much and what is low? Some people are crying because the 2% or 2.5% loans are gone, right? They're gone from the marketplace. Well, they're gone from the marketplace today, and that's true. Let's talk about rates just in general before we move on. 3.2% for a 30-year fix. These are averages across the country. 2.62 for the 15-year. The FHA loan is at 2.75. Jumbo is at 3.18. Now, that jumbo number is frozen. It has been that way for six months easy, maybe longer. And the jumbo loan product is not a Fannie Freddie loan, and it's usually sold to different types of investors. So therefore, um, that particular rate doesn't move all that much. 
And the 5-1 arm is a 2.28. I had a friend call me the other day, say, what is the arm product and how does it work? Interesting, right? If you're looking for something in the twos, and I just quoted 2.28 for a 5-1 arm, well, 2.75 for FHA, but there too, you have to have a mortgage insurance premium on top of that, and that's going to push that up at about 3.5%. So if you're looking at a 5-1 arm and you know you're going to be moving from that property, or you know you're going to get in and out of it quick within five years. You want the two-year exemption because you want to claim that you live there, and then you want to sell it and maximize out what you can. That 2.2851 arm, that's five-year fixed and adjustable after that. That's a good product if you know what you're doing and if you stick to the game plan. Now, I can't predict in the future, of course, how house prices are going to go or where the mortgage market will end up, but in general, over the past five years, the, uh, the rate for the adjustable has been really close to what it is for the 30-year fixed anyway. It doesn't really move. So if you've got a 2.28 today on a 5.1 arm, it's probably going to be close to that in a year or so. You have to watch it because there's also an amount that it can go up every year and a cap over the life of the loan. Usually you have to get approved, and this is the kicker to this loan, not to the rate you're going to pay, but to the cap of the greatest amount of that particular loan. Like, if, let's say you've got a, a five-point cap on this thing. So the loan could ostensibly go to 7.28% uh, within 10 years. They qualify you for that. Can you pay that? It doesn't mean you're going to pay that, but you have to qualify for that in order to get that particular loan. That's the downside of it. The upside is if you can qualify for that, this is a smoking loan if you're going to get out in less than five years. For everybody else in the marketplace who is looking around to see what the heck is going on with rates and how they're going to be able to secure that loan with the best person out there, yeah, I, I understand. It is not simple. Real estate prices have gone up and down. Now, what we've seen in real estate which also affects some of the market. It affects the availability of properties. Thus, the availability of properties is going up. We had less than three months availability of properties across the country. Some sections a little bit more, some sections a little bit less. If you're down in Albuquerque, you know what I'm talking about. Certainly in Southern California in the IE, up in Tahoe, absolutely. And in Vegas, it's on fire out there. So all of those particular five markets that we just described uh, – yeah, we know real estate prices there and where they are. But in most places, other than those particular places, especially here west of, the, west of Denver, let's say, you're going to see that inventories have risen, which means that prices should stabilize, although it takes a seller six months to realize that there's more houses out there and they ought to lower the price in order to sell it. But it's currently, let's see, we've got about um, 5.1 months nationally uh, of inventory. Now, we had three, point, uh, three months or less uh, last month. So inventory is up. Usually means prices comes down. As I say, the caveat is usually takes sellers six months. The mortgage market itself has been really relatively flat over the past month. It is where it is and probably where it will stay. Now, the, the, the several things that we got to think about, which will affect rate beyond uh, what the 10-year does. The 10-year is currently at about a point and a half. That means the yield you pay when you buy the bond is 1.5% of the amount of the bond, and you get that on a yearly. So however that is divided up by 12 months, that's what you get. If, in fact, we're talking about rates for other products, let's say you want to get into a 15-year, you want to get into a uh, FHA you want to get into a jumbo. These rates are also not affected too much by the bond market since all of these are basically fixed. Uh, when you talk FHA, FHA is usually rates for people with bad credit, people who have low income. Uh, and so those particular rates are fixed at a point because they also have to pay mortgage insurance premiums. But the bond market itself and how it affects your rates is also affected by inflation. Now, you've heard a lot of talk about that, of course. Every time there's a Democratic administration, you hear about inflation and crime and what else do you hear about? You know, the, the, the whatever, whatever drive and the debt, right. These are the three things that occupy the news, but they also affect mortgage interest rates. And I'll get into that in, a, in an additional segment later on in the show just to show you how 
beyond the bond, there are things that affect the rate. Those things that you can watch, those things that affect you directly, there are two different ways to approach it, and uh, I'll talk about that a little bit later. I'm Jeff Barton, your voice in the mortgage industry. Thanks for listening to the show. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Mortgage Voice with Jeff Barton. We'll be right back with more in just a moment. For more information on today's topic, email Jeff Barton at info at malibufunding.net. Now, back to The Mortgage Voice with your host, Jeff Barton. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Jeff Barton, your voice in the mortgage industry. Thanks very much for tuning in to the show. Thanks very much for listening each and every week. We try to bring to you information, information that you can use. Uh, Sometimes I get to... uh, lecturing and I apologize for that but there is so much going on all the time in both the government as well as lending and different programs from different lenders that it almost seems like uh, it's too much so I try to get as much information to you as possible in the shortest period of time and sometimes it just sounds like a lot of noise so again I apologize but to help me sort out a lot of this stuff are the experts in the field I'm just one person who um, runs a a little company, but there are many large, good companies out there who have a great handle on products as well as what's going on in the marketplace. Noah Schiffman joins me today from New Res as one of those guys. Hey, Noah, how are you? Good, Jeff. I'm great. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you. Eh, Thanks for coming on once again, and I do appreciate it. New Res, tell us about what uh, some of the newer products you might be I guess uh, getting into now, and I'm not sure if you're tackling QM versus non-QM. Uh, just tell me about what's going on there and, and how you're helping the borrowers. Yeah, absolutely. So we, we uh, for sure, are getting into products that we weren't, well, I shouldn't say weren't in previously. We were, and then, of course, there was a pause in the market with jumbo lending and non-QM lending when COVID hit. But things are starting to, it seems, come back somewhat to, quote-unquote, normal, which is good. So uh, over the last couple of months, we've uh, re-rolled out or reintroduced um, several of our jumbo program options, which, you know, are loans above the agency conforming or high balance limits, and also non-QM. So we absolutely uh, are in the non-QM market. As a matter of fact, uh, before COVID hit, uh, we were one of only two lenders that were uh, doing multiple securitizations per quarter. Um out there. So our non-QM product is our own product. We are the investor on it. It is our own product, uh, which is a huge advantage because uh, we can be agile and shift as needed because we're not dealing with a different investor. Um, and the fact that we are securitizing so much uh, multiple securitizations um, per quarter tells you we were doing a large clip of it before COVID. And we are extremely excited to be back in that sector. Um it is uh, an underserved, however, the hot button uh, word, I guess, in the industry right now is non-QM, much like it was a year and a half ago or so. Uh, right. We have three uh, products currently on non-QM. We actually kind of consolidated our product mix from before COVID um, just to make it easier. So uh, we, we kind of whittled three programs down or six programs down to three, but we have most of the same offerings just in those three products as opposed to having separate products for each uh, kind of niche. Um, so of those three, uh, I have what we call our smart, my non-QM products are called, called our smart product line. Okay. Um, and we have the smart edge program, which is a full doc program. And it's on edge because it's on the edge of agency and government. So it's for those borrowers who are fantastic, qualified borrowers, full doc. They just don't quite meet the A paper jumbo guideline requirements, which tend to be a bit more strict than your, you know, conventional agency loans. So um, we allow on that product higher debt-to-income ratios, higher LTVs, interest only, non-warrantable condo offerings, lower reserve requirements, et cetera. So there's a lot of nice niche offerings on that full-doc program. Right. Uh, we also offer the Smart Self, which is our bank statement program for self-employed borrowers, hence Smart Self. Um, a lot of the same offerings on that product, it's just you're doing your, your income calculations based off of a cash flow over the last 12 or 24 months of business or personal bank statements for self-employed borrowers. Uh, and then lastly, our Smart Vest product, which is for investors, and that's a debt servicing uh, product where you qualify the borrower based off of the cash flow of the subject property 
uh, versus off of their income. And that's for experienced investors who've had uh, investment properties at least 12 months history uh, of owning investment properties. Now, the non-QM market and Jumbo, two things. One, non-QM, the, uh, the fact that you, and I don't know if it's caught by the listeners, but when you t- say securitized, wh- what do you mean? Just explain that a little bit so you can show the people listening how that's an advantage for them. Well, that's an advantage because what that means is uh, oftentimes if you're dealing with a lender, there are in what's called investors out there, right? So the yep. investors are the ones basically buying up the paper. They're the ones with the money, right? Right. Um, and so you have lots of lenders out there that are selling investors' products. Right. So they have to adhere to whomever's buying that paper. They adhere to whatever guidelines that investor puts forth, right? So they, they do a bunch of the loans, they package it up, and they sell it in bulk to the investor, right? Right. Um, when we're securitizing on the secondary market, that means we are the investor, so we are adhering to our own guidelines that we write. Now, there are other some other guidelines that we don't have to get into, but Appendix Q and, and you know, regulated guidelines that you do have to follow, obviously. But we can be a little bit more flexible with what we feel comfortable with, because it's because we're the ones financing financing the programs. Now, securitizing, it means you go out on the open market and you sell it in bulk to investors that are interested in holding that paper, but you are not held to one investor's guidelines. So we set the guidelines and then take it to market and sell it uh, to investors on the open market. So it, it, is, um, it is an advantage using a, a lender that is securitizing the business and actually is the investor because the, you're going to avoid things like secondary signature sign-offs by yep. the investor, which can cause you a lot of time yep. when you're trying to close a loan. It can also cause you a lot of heartache because you think you have a loan that's clear to close, but then they have to send it to the investor for second review, and the investor comes back and says, no, we need these 10 more items, etc. Right. Right. So you avoid all that when you are not only the lender, but the investor. Excellent. No, that's a good explanation, and I absolutely agree to, with you, which is why I brought it up. The jumbo rates. Now, the jumbo rates are really steady and have been for six months. Is that because they're not being sold to uh, Fannie Freddie because they're jumbo and that the secondary market loves these jumbo loans, and so therefore it's a very steady rate at around you know, anywhere from 3 to 3 and a quarter percent? I mean, I'd say, I'd say bingo. Yeah, it's not – they're not um, – subsidized by the government, right? So you have private investors or banks, um, which obviously, I say private investors, but they are often public companies, right? And right. depository banks that, that buy these, buy these uh, this paper. But yeah, you're, you're adhering to investor guidelines versus agency or government guidelines. Um, so maybe not directly tied to the bond market, etc., though they are. Right. Um, but it's, it's all dependent upon basically the secondary market for those loans. And, you know, that secondary market for the jumbo product disappeared for a year and a half. Yes, right? it did. COVID yep. hit, it fell off the ledge very quickly. Um, but now it's coming back. The market is stabilizing. And, uh, you know, investors are, are seeing the need and seeing the value in that paper. So I think that's why you're seeing, I mean, historically low jumbo yep, rates I agree. right now. It's amazing. It, it is really amazing. That's why I wanted to hit upon it, because these jumbo rates are really spectacular. In your jumbo programs, where what are your parameters, and what are you looking for in a jumbo borrower? Yeah, uh, it's harder to answer that in kind of an all-encompassing Sure. Uh, no, I answer, get it. Because with the jumbo product, it is, it is investor-specific. So while we are the investor on our um, non-QM business, for the most part on jumbo, we are not. So uh, there are investors that we're selling to. Right. Now, we're fully delegated, which means that we're not sending it out to anybody for second signature. We can pass all their tests, and they trust us to underwrite the files accordingly. But um, you do have to adhere to their guidelines, and every investor has different guidelines. No, so, I, right, um, right. My different products have different requirements. But generally, when you're talking about a paper jumbo, you're talking about very well-qualified borrowers with low debt-to-income ratios, meaning you know their debts, against their total income is, is relatively low. Um, and that's generally across the board, it's 43% or less, which is lower than agency or government loans, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
and you know, loan amounts. It, though LTVs are different, meaning your loan to value, etc., is different, and generally lower. So it's a more conservatively underwritten loan because you're lending more money. It makes right. sense. Right, right, of course. Uh, so you you don't want to you don't want to lend a lot of money at a very high risk loan. The higher the loan of the higher the loan amount, the less risk an investor is going to take. So it, it, we have historic rates. You do see some products out there that are starting to get more aggressive. I mean, when you're in a market like we're in, obviously it's a seller's market. Um, there's a, a, a lack of inventory out there as far as the housing market is concerned, um, but it's also it's also a very competitive lending market. So you see these low rates because investors and lenders are competing for the business right now. A year ago, you know, business was crazy and everybody was trying to keep up with what they, was coming across their desk. And, and that has come down a little bit, right? Yep. Um, hey, no, I'm up against the clock here. I'm sorry. I, I, I could talk to you for an hour. Because the information is oh, just yeah. so gold. I, we're just up against the clock, and I really appreciate you okay. coming on. Uh, we've been talking to Noah Shuffman. He's with New Res, and that particular lender is, as you can hear, not only really uh, got a lot of great products, but uh, you're dealing with a terrific account executive. Have your broker please give him a call. That's New Res, and it's Noah Shuffman. Uh, Noah, thanks very much. Sure. I appreciate you coming on. Hey, Jeff, always a pleasure, and I appreciate it as well. Excellent. Thank you very much. I'm Jeff Barton, your voice in the music in the music industry. Listen to that in the mortgage business, and we'll be right back. You're listening to The Mortgage Voice with Jeff Barton. We'll be right back with more in just a moment. For more information on today's topic, email Jeff Barton at info at malibufunding.net. Now, back to The Mortgage Voice with your host, Jeff Barton. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Jeff Barton, your voice in the mortgage industry. Thanks very much for tuning into the show, listening each and every week. We bring to you information, people, and uh, hopefully some solutions to whatever problem or uh, questions you might have about not only mortgages, but real estate, the business itself, where it's heading, how it, how and why it does what it does. It's really, it's not as simple and straightforward as you might think, and uh, whether it's overly politicized in some respects most of it operates behind closed doors and you don't really know anything about it so you're at the mercy of loan officers uh, i brought today with us uh, a terrific loan officer has received some uh, great uh, endorsements by clients uh, bill Orr from malibu funding joins us bill how are you first off I'm good, Jeff. How are you today? You know, I'm good, thank you. And uh, the market just seems to be, seems to be, and keep keeps to be, roaring along here. How is it for you? Yes. Yeah, yeah. That, I'm seeing the same thing too. I mean, um, the purchase side, it's just cray cray. I mean, just mm-hmm. multiple offers and multiple offers and multiple offers, and both real estate agents and potential home buyers are frustrated that they can't get their offers accepted. So it's, it's, it's a uh, I've said it a lot of times that sometimes real estate can be a contact sport. <laughs> I think we're I think we're seeing that sometime in in Southern California, anyways. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. Okay, so when you are talking to realtors, and obviously that's the lifeblood of the lending industry in normal times, right? We need to have real estate agents who trust what we can do and deliver. How do you promise to them you can deliver if you've got issues like okay timing? Uh, lenders are busy, so can they turn? Uh, appraisals. Uh, everyone's busy, so they might not, you know, happen as quickly as possible. Or in the case of some Arizona loans, not happen at all. How do you satisfy the needs of the realtor and the client, and still be able to deliver for them? Wow, that's a, that's a great question because that's a real mouthful. I mean, everything right. you hit on is exactly right. I mean, appraisals can be a problem. So I'll tell you a couple of horror stories. Yep. Uh, just within the last forty-five days, I had one up in Eureka, California. Nobody would come, nobody would come, no appraisal would answer the call. Like, they just wouldn't right. do it. So we finally reached out to a couple of guys. Long story short, the appraisal, <laughs> the normal price for an appraisal is about $550, give yep. or take. This guy said, for $2,000, I'll have it for you next week. Oh, my. Two grand. And the buyer was in kind of a pickle, and they, and they had to close, so he paid it. Wow. I had I had another one, like, literally 10 days later, two weeks later, it wasn't two thousand, but it was over a thousand. And same thing, the buyer was in a pinch; he had to do it, so he had to pay you know, a premium. And I had another one 
where the the order the appraisal order was five hundred and forty five dollars. I think we requested a hundred. Oh, we request we requested a, a, a rush order. And the rush fee was the exact same price as the appraisal fee, $550. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. You're right. You raise a very uh, good question. Now, um, in some situations, if the client uh, has good credit and if they're placing a large down payment, sometimes we can get something called an appraisal waiver. Right. Which means we do not have to do a property appraisal, but, you know, you can't count on that. Right. That's on a one duty basis, and if it happens, then good for you. But it's 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 a it's a real challenge. And then the other thing is, how can we get it done? You know, I had one recently that this this week, and matter of fact, the close a couple of days late, and and it was it's a real struggle to get these things done on time. Right. Uh, and you just have to, for me, for my job, I have to really stay on top of all the deadlines, make sure that I get everything done quickly, and even still, you run into trouble because there's just more problems. Every person is unique and different. Yep. And on the surface, I had a guy who's a registered nurse and, and an MBA, so he's making very good money. Uh, but the problem I had with this guy is he was he was putting $10,000 into Schwab, and the next week he put $15,000 into Citibank, and another 1000 to Chase, and it came down to close. We had to track and trace all this money down for this guy. Right. Because any time in, in for for you know, people who are listening, when you buy a house, mortgage underwriters are extremely detailed. Yep, they want to know where the money came the money from. Yep, that goes into the transaction. Like you cannot use cash, for example. If any money that you're going to bring in for down payment and closing costs, we have to track it. Um, where if it was transferred from another account, then we have to get two months of the other account and so forth. So it can be tricky. It's not as easy as point and click like you might hear on the radio. It's not. No, I, I, and I think what, what you're describing is uh, also uh, a lender's ability to look at a file as a person as opposed to just automatic underwriting and whatever it says, that's it, and you just cookie-cutter these things. We try to tailor, and I'm sure you're like this too, to make each client feel, not only feel, but to get the kind of service and also the speed to get it done quickly, the service that they would get, that they can't get from a cookie-cutter loan outfit. And obviously, you know, all of that takes time. And uh, as you said, it's yeah, it's it's not yeah, an it's, easy... Online work, online work, it's endlessly. And, you, you know, you cannot just fax it in. You, you literally have to take each one because there's always going to be a little nuance. And what I run across all the time still are inexperienced loan officers who get to the client first. Right. And then I have to kind of commit after the fact and, and explain to them, you know, what the reality is. Because if you get somebody, you know, not to pick on the big banks, but I used to work at yep. Wells Fargo, so I'll pick on them or Bank of America or whatever. You know, they get these people who just got licensed, and maybe they worked in the bank as a teller for a year, and they got their, their mortgage license, so they're not doing loans. They've only been doing it for six months. Well, there's so much that these people just don't know. Right. Uh, even if it is somebody working for me, you know, a brand new loan officer, they're not going to know what I do, and they're going to make mistakes, and they do make mistakes. And then it's up for senior loan officers to try to guide the client uh, along to make sure that they're given the proper information and we, and we can get the transaction done for them. And, and misinformation is out there. You know, um, uh, you know. sometimes uh, a loan officer won't be 100% honest with the client and telling them what they think the client wants to hear, and that's a big disservice. Of course. You know, and I, I learned early on in my career that you have to have the backbone to tell the client the truth, even if it's bad news or even if it's not good news. You have you have re- financial responsibility to tell the client exactly where they stand. Well, I, I think that's true. And I think what, what the problem of it is, is that during the loan process, the facts change, i.e. the program yes. changes, the rates change, and... You know, if you are looking at uh, uh, someone who says, well, you said this and you said that, it's not like that. Um, For instance, if you're floating, meaning you're waiting for the rates to go down in order to have the client qualify uh, because they won't qualify at this rate, and you tell them that, and then the rates do go down, and for whatever reason, they can't lock that rate. They're not around. You can't get them to do it. And the rates go back up. They blame you, the loan officer, when really this is a function of the market. This isn't about you know, a fault or anything like that. And these things happen all the time within, as you said it, 
trying to source income, trying to source bank statements, all of this stuff. It is not simple, and it changes. And the guidelines that require you to do that also are in flux. That's right. And so and so what this means to the person who is listening to the show, is you want to lender or home sellers will no longer accept their pre-qualification. It has to be a full-blown pre-approval. Right. We have a loan officer sit there, and you go through your paycheck subs, you go through your W-2s, you go through your tax returns, uh, and you go through the bank thing, which you can go through everything in detail to make sure there's something that's not out there that's going to cause a problem. You get a few of a full computerized loan pre-approval from either Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac or FHA, and you run credit. And it's up to, I, I, I have personally spoken to clients who met face-to-face with, in this case I'll, tell, I'll name names, Bank of America, loan officer, and the loan officer told them they were qualified simply by looking at the arithmetic of, of comparing their, the client's income versus their expenses, paying zero attention to the fact that they didn't have the money to close. They didn't right. have the money to close. These people bought the proof for $550,000, and according to the arithmetic, they were, but they didn't have the down payment and the closing costs. Right. They're not qualified. <laughs> they are not qualified. Bill, we're up against the clock. I really appreciate you know you talking to to us about this really important process of finding the right person so that you can get the approval that's not only useful but that you can close on. Bill, thanks for coming right. on the show. I really appreciate it. You want to shout out your phone number? Yes, yeah, sure. my name is Bill, and my last name is Orr. O R R. Phone number eight one eight four zero six four seven four four. Again, eight one eight four zero six. Four seven four four and don't let when eight area code fool you. I help people in Eureka. I help people in San Diego. I help people in Palm Springs. If it's in the state of California, uh, I can help. Thank you, Bill, very much for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Jeff. I appreciate your time. Sure, and that's Bill Orr from Malibu Funding. I'm Jeff Barton, your voice in the mortgage industry. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Mortgage Voice with Jeff Barton. We'll be right back with more in just a moment. For more information on today's topic, email Jeff Barton at info at malibufunding.net. Now, back to The Mortgage Voice with your host, Jeff Barton. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Jeff Barton, your voice in the mortgage industry. Thanks very much for tuning in. Thanks very much for listening to the show. We are down in Albuquerque, and we are in Las Vegas, Nevada. We're up in Tahoe, Lake Tahoe area at K Tahoe, and, of course, in Southern California, flagship station down there, KCAA, KMET. Great people, great place, great place to live. Uh, Building houses, more of it, less of a problem because we have inventory that has increased up to 5.1 months. And what does that mean for builders? You know, it's interesting. I was reading an article about building new homes. Everybody wants a new home. Don't you? I do. Uh, If I'm going to move somewhere, I'd love to get into a new home just because you don't deal with the hassles, the problems, and especially with COVID and the way people's minds wig out. You're not thinking about, you know, whether there's a problem with that or some other disease or some other. Anyway, builders look at the way inventory grows or shrinks as an incentive by which they're either going to build more or build less. Obviously, they're in a business that you have to plan years in advance, maybe even decades in advance. Well, after 2008, when we had the uh, real estate, mortgage, and economic crisis, uh, the meltdown here in the States, uh, what a lot of these builders did is they, they went to a different type of format and program. What they looked at was, okay, if we're going to build houses, we have to see that the actual people, the people who are going to buy out there, don't have enough inventory. Now, what we've seen in the U.S. since COVID is rising prices, less and less inventory month after month. So builders got on their hobby horse and decided to build. So we've seen a uh, a lot of activity in the in the housing market, whether it's up in uh, Salt Lake or whether it's in Las Vegas, whether it's up in Reno, whether it's in uh, the Inland Empire up the 15, uh, whether it's down in uh, Albuquerque. In a lot of these markets, what we saw and have seen is building, but not to the tune of what we had in 2004, 5, and 6. In those days, they were rolling. I mean, I went to two areas, right? I went down into um, Phoenix, uh, Scottsdale area, And I also went out into Las Vegas. Now, I've had a license in those two states for well over a decade, maybe longer. 
And I have watched the way that that rolled out in those days. And they would roll, I don't know, they would do a section of 25 to 50 homes a month. And in several different areas in Las Vegas, same thing down in Phoenix. Now, if you're running with Pulte or you've got uh, uh, Asex or you've got Huarte uh, or you've got, you know, there's so many home builders and they're all doing the same thing, you're, you're putting onto the market thousands of houses a month. And the demand was such that you were keeping up with it. But what happened, especially, and look at Florida, they were plowing these under after 2009. They built, they overbuilt, and they got stuck with a lot of this on their, their books and on in their inventory. So they decided not to do that. So what they went with was deposit, build, deposit, build. They would do, they would build when they got buyers as opposed to build, build it and they will come, right? Well, that's not how they're doing it today. So what we've got now is a very interesting situation where we have in uh, right now in late June 2021, we have inventory that has risen from, you know, the low three months, three months of inventory, maybe even lower. Now it's up to 5.1 months of inventory nationally. So the builders have gone back to show, give me the deposit, then I'll build your house as opposed to walk in and buy close next week. That has slowed the building process. Now, we all know that housing in America is still one of the biggest problems because we cannot, we cannot house the people we have because there aren't enough affordable houses. Affordability has to do with availability, supply and demand, right? If there are not enough houses, you're going to pay more for the houses that exist. If there are a lot of houses or too many houses, then it becomes a buyer's market. Now, this is what new home builders have to deal with. So we've had shrinking permits in the home building area for the last couple of months. Why? Because they foresaw the trend. And when people were going back uh, to their uh, previous lives, they're traveling a lot, they're spending money, they're not necessarily focused on moving and buying new home. That, that simply means that the inventory rose, and that's where we are right now. So the profit incentive on housing is such, and we can debate whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it is such that new, the big home builders are not building the way they used to. Eli Broad, um, Aspen, I mean, there's all kinds of uh, home builders out there. Now, the infill people, the small unit, the ones that build three to five houses, they're still around and they're looking for infill deals, but usually in neighborhoods that can support a price because building is so expensive. Lumber prices, yes, have come down, so that makes it a little bit cheaper. But trying to find a sub, trying to find a painter. We had a painter come to our house. We had to book him six months ago. Why? Because they were so busy during COVID. S surprising, right? No, a lot of people stayed home. They f did home fix-up. They you know, had their house painted. They did new plumbing. They did added an additional room because they needed the additional room, not only for childcare at home, but obviously for the home-based business that they now have to run from their garage. They wanted to add a room in order to do that. So all of the subs out there have made also building or for the infill uh, people, much more expensive, as lumber did, as we saw it go up 700% last year. That is ridiculous. It has since come down. Why did it go up? Sawmills were closed. Why did uh, a, a lot of food go up? Because processing and uh, a lot of people who worked in those jobs also are not working. There are a lot of things to discuss about what's happening in the building process, but that's one reason why new homes aren't keeping up with demand because they do something called deposit build, as opposed to build it and they will come. Okay, a couple more things uh, before we close up the hour. Let's see. Oregon passed law forbidding buyers letters. Okay, so if you're a buyer out there and you're looking to purchase a house, a lot of times, and I do this too, you have your buyer write a letter. Hi, I'm you know, this kind of person, and I really love this, and, you know, we're planning on doing this with the property, and uh, me and my partner, or me and my wife, or husband, or me alone, we're out here, and we're going to make this neighborhood great, and I love what you've done, and we're going to, you know, these type of letters, they're called love letters. Now, do they help? Yes, I think a lot of times they do help. They humanize the buyer as a person, as opposed to the largest number gets the home, i.e. the biggest. And a lot of times when you write the, uh, a letter like that, it really it, it shows that you are someone who cares about their property. And a lot of sellers have emotional attachment to their property and want somebody to take care of it. So that's why a love letter like that. Well, in Oregon, they have not allowed it. They, it is now illegal to write that kind of letter. Why? 
because they said that these types of letters may influence and prejudice the seller to, per to uh, sell the property uh, based on things other than uh, the quality of the buyer, the quality of the offer. Now, what do they mean by that? Some buyers would send pictures. Okay, so you get into the area of discrimination in housing. And again, is it discriminatory? Here's another question. Is it discriminatory for me not to want to sell to you just because I don't like you? Is that discriminatory? And can that be used as an argument in any kind of legal basis by which to buy and sell properties? I.e., Oregon said, yes, it is the basis. So we're going to nip it in the bud and not allow a certain thing that might give credence to the fact of who you are beyond just your financial offer. I think it's a mistake. I think it dehumanizes the process. And I think a lot of people who sell their property really want to sell it to somebody who cares. People who write love letters or caring letters are those types of people. And I think it's a mistake. A lot of people agree with me, but Oregon just passed that law. It may be coming to a town near you soon. Cutting benefits, lower unemployment rates, claims, but it does increase in hiring. Okay, so some states have cut the unemployment benefits, that $300 federal subsidy uh, that they've also given as a weekly to unemployed people. Now, getting people back to work is one way by which the economy can recover and uh, one way by which we think full employment will help cut inflation, i.e. more people, more buyers, less need to raise prices. The question is, by cutting, do you actually cut the number of people uh, on the unemployment lines, i.e., if you do that, does that also mean, conversely or adversely, that you're adding to the employment numbers? We're not sure. The data's not in, and that's yet to be understood. Inflation, debt, those are the drivers of the news cycle. What is the impact on you as a borrower? It may affect you with inflation. It may affect you with how uh, particular neighborhoods are perceived, and all of these things are things that uh, affect the mortgage rate and the mortgage market as well as real estate. Anyway, it's been a great show. Thanks very much for listening. I'm Jeff Barton, your voice in the mortgage industry, and we will be right back. You're listening to The Mortgage Voice with Jeff Barton. We'll be right back with more in just a moment. For more information on today's topic, email Jeff Barton at info at malibufunding.net. Now, back to The Mortgage Voice with your host, Jeff Barton. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Jeff Barton, your voice in the mortgage industry. Thanks very much for listening to the show, and thanks very much each and every week. We, we put the show on for you. Get a lot of great feedback, especially from the guests that we bring on. Uh, everybody wants to talk about programs and the different ways by which uh, a particular borrower has needs for a particular type of loan, and there's a lot of products out there. So the feedback we get and the people who do call to ask for that information, thank you. Keep calling. Keep emailing. All those things really help. We want to Thank the listeners down in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Next week we'll have a, a couple of people, if not one person, come on to the show, talk a little bit about your market, what's going on. Same up in Tahoe. Uh, it's a local market we give love to, but not enough, so we're going to try to do a little bit more of that. In Vegas, absolutely, as well as in Southern California, all of these terrific markets. We're also on 10 different podcasts. Uh, Daryl, you have the list of those podcasts in front of you? I sure do, Jeff. It's uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Music Play, Spotify, Spreaker, Stitcher, iHeartMedia, Radio.com, YouTube, and Podclips.io. That Podclips.io is a new Podclips center where you can go there. There's a lot of different people talking about information that you're going to need on all kinds of subjects, lifestyle, health, sports. Uh, our particular uh, area is finance, and uh, I'm on there with uh, several others to talk about different types of the way that you use finance and how it affects you and your life and what you're going to do in order to be able to be an expert in that area, at least know more than you do now. A lot of these podcasts, as well as what we do on the radio, are designed to really bring you up to speed. Uh, I'm not selling anything. I, I do wish you would come to my company, which is Malibu Funding, Inc. They sponsor the show, and I appreciate what they do each and every week just to give us a shot. But if not, go to any of these lenders, any of these guests that come on the show. They're all there for you because the information that we provide is a service that the company does, and, and I happen to be a wholeheartedly behind that. Uh, getting people into housing, that's what we're trying to do, whether it's somebody with a ton of dough or somebody who has a lousy credit score and a minimum wage job. How are we going to get you into some kind of housing? Uh, a couple of bits of news on the housing front, by the way. Uh, 
Supreme Court came down with a decision uh, last week which talked about uh, the president's ability to be able to hire and fire at will. Uh, now, a lot of these commissioners that were installed during uh, 2008, the SAFE Act and Dodd-Frank bill, uh, we knew quite, quite a bit about this. Uh, there was a lot of hubbub and debate during the Trump presidency about the, uh, I don't know, whether it was good or bad, and, you know, there's a lot of screaming and yelling. Well, this quietly went through. The Supreme Court said, yeah, the president absolutely has the ability to hire and fire at will, and they called it separation of powers. Uh, therefore, Mark Calabria, who is the uh, commissioner or the uh, director at FHA, and that is the oversight regulatory agency for all lenders and all financial uh, aspects uh, of lending, uh, as opposed to the CFPB. Well, both of those positions can be uh, hired and fired at will, and the president has accepted Mark Calabria's uh, resignation as soon as that uh, decision came down, Mark Calabria resigned, and in his place, there is a new FHFA commissioner, and her name is Sandra L. Thompson as the acting director of FHFA. She comes with a huge resume of working for the FDIC and working over at the Fed and working with a number of different agencies in the federal government. Now, part of what uh, during the last administration and this particular administration, there is a very large bureaucracy that works tirelessly for you people out there. Now, whether they have a political bent or, or a particular way that they view things, yes, I understand, and that is certainly something to consider when you're thinking about supporting them or not supporting them. But with the expertise that this person brings to the job, you can rest assured that whatever is in a regulatory fashion that helps consumers will be considered first and foremost. Now, Will that help business? I'm not quite sure, but I think that uh, we're in good hands with that person at the wheel. Uh, I haven't done enough research on her, just a few comments. Uh, I am honored that the President Biden has designated me to be acting director of the FHFA, she said. I look forward to serving in this role at a crucial time. Now, one thing about all these people in bureaucracies is they all say the same thing, and that's one of the reasons why we all hate them, right? But to do the job of regulating banks mortgage brokers, and the like, in order to make sure that uh, both Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and uh, Ginnie Mae are on the up and up. Now, I think during the last administration, Mark Calabria wanted to jettison or have Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac go from conservatorship into private ownership. I happen to think that this particular director will not do that and will keep close both Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. There was a sweep being done, which was ended during the last administration. There were a lot of things done during the last administration, uh, some things that didn't get done, in terms of releasing Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae from conservatorship. One of the things that uh, they, they did get through and did get uh, away with was uh, Treasury used to sweep, what they call sweep. It really is taking the money that Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae earned and putting it into the Treasury. And they would do that once a quarter. And it was uh, quite, a, quite a bit of money. It was $4 billion per Freddie Mac, and I think, I want to say $8 billion for Fannie Mae. It could be reversed. But it was a significant amount of money each and every quarter. One of the things that FHA, Fannie Mae, and Freddie Mac needed to do in order to exit from conservatorship is to build up a significant amount of cash to cover the, down, the short side if we had another situation like we had in 2008 or something close to it. But it would be hard to build up a reserve of cash if the Treasury was sweeping your money each and every month. So one of the things that Calabria did, and I thought it was a good idea, I still think it's a good idea, is to stop that so that both FHA, I'm um, sorry, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac can build up those reserves so that one day they can actually get released from conservatorship. And one, of the, one of the downsides in another Supreme Court decision, it said that the um, uh, releasing from conservatorship is not mandated and that the, uh, the government, the Treasury Department, I guess, can decide if they're going to release them or not. Uh, and that went all the way to the Supreme Court, another decision that came down within the last couple of weeks. It uh, really upset the bondholders and the um, stockholders because both of those companies are privately held, or at least were privately held, until the bailout in 2008. So what happens to those and what happened to the stock market is we took a big nosedive on Tuesday as a result of that decision. Uh, we have since recovered some of that amount, but as all of these decisions go, 
Most of it is lost on the American public. And for you to look at this and say, yeah, well, so what? Who cares? How is it going to affect me and my ability to get a loan? Well, one of the things that we always debate in the business is whether government should be in the lending business at all. And I know that there is a great push to remove government's responsibility from lending. Well, since the advent of Freddie and Fannie and the crash of 2008, it has become even more apparent that that particular route that Calabria was trying to go and that I think the Trump administration was trying to push is not going to happen during this administration. So you are now in cahoots or bed or whatever you want to say with the federal government when it comes to the collaboration or the partnership, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, even Ginny Mae for, for most of FHA, even though FHA is a government program and that's never going away, um, they're, they're going to be uh, joined at the hip. And that particular aspect of lending isn't going to go away. So affecting rates, you're going to get guaranteed um, uh, they're going to guarantee the loans to the servicers and the lenders. That's what Fannie and Freddie does, uh, especially if you follow the QM rules. Now, there is all kinds of reasons why you should know what QM is. Those are the 30-year fixed-rate mortgages, usually 20% down kind of with, you know, a FICO score above 620. And those loans all get sold to Fannie and Freddie. Now, Fannie and Freddie have trillion dollars on their particular portfolios, they get bundled into mortgage-backed securities and sold on the open market in order to continue to keep funds rolling through Freddie and Fannie to lend out to you. There's new uh, procedures coming, new policies coming for what qualifies a loan as a qualified mortgage. Now, they're not going to come into existence until, or, or mandatory existence until, um, I think, June of 22, so about a year from now. However, July of this year, some lenders are going automatically to the new proposed uh, QM regulations. We're up against the clock, so I can't get into it, but I want to get into it. Uh, there's so much going on and so much explanation about all of this and how it affects you. Things to watch, things to keep your eye on, because the market is changing. There's a glut of houses, not a glut, but there's more of a glut of houses now. And the rates seem to be pretty good. So if you're out there looking for programs, they're still out there. I'm Jeff Barton, your voice in the mortgage industry. Thanks very much for tuning into the show this week, and we will see you next time. You're listening to The Mortgage Voice with Jeff Barton. For more on today's topic, visit www.malibufunding.net.